1: Hello and welcome to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. This is the War of Austrian Succession, 1740-1748, to 1748, part one. This set of episodes is about the War of Austrian Succession and the years leading up to it. It follows episodes on the Great Northern War and the War of Spanish Succession. Today I will talk about the beginning of the rise of Brandenburg, Prussia. In the mid-1720s, the people of Europe were experiencing an unusual period of sustained peace. The previous 100 years had been particularly brutal, a seemingly never-ending cycle of violence across the continent. Wars such as the Thirty Years' War and a series of conflicts in Eastern Europe were at such a scale that they affected the average citizen far more than most earlier conflicts. Historians refer to the emergence of so-called fiscal military states, which base their economic model on the sustainment of its armed forces, usually in times of prolonged or severe conflict. Such states subjected citizens to high levels of taxation for this purpose, and those which were unable to reform to achieve the structure and centralization required to raise even greater taxes came at risk of being overwhelmed by those neighbours who were able to. Most states raised the size of their armies to such a size they were simply unable to support them with their own native resources, and so their armies, when abroad, resorted to confiscating food and supplies from local populations. Sometimes this was done in a controlled way, sometimes just random pillaging and plunder, but in all cases the effect on the local population was devastating. The populations of the most affected regions plummeted, not so much by direct killings, but by famine, disease and emigration. The calm of the 1720s was in part due to the exhaustion of all the parties after such a long period of conflict. This also happened to be a period when either rulers were young and required a regency, or needed a period of dynastic consolidation. In France, King Louis XV, born in the year 1710, was still a child. Peter the Great died in 1725 and was briefly succeeded by his wife Catherine I and his young son Peter II. In England, the elector of Saxony, George Ludwig, ascended to the throne in 1714, as his predecessors, Anne and William III, had no direct heirs, and the Stuart princes were cut out the line of inheritance for being Catholic. But another reason for this moment of peace was, was more profound, an intellectual movement known as the Enlightenment. A generation of intellectuals were coming to maturity who were not only critical of many political and economic assumptions of the 17th century, but were working towards new principles upon which to found European civilization. In a famous thesis of 1935, Paul Hazard wrote that between the 1680s and 1710s, The European mind underwent a transformation as it loosened its ties to a classical past, embraced philosophical and religious scepticism, and advocated values based on scientific and rationalist systems of thought. Writers such as Montesquieu, Voltaire and Swift argued for new models of governance, based on moral criteria rather than accidents of birth, and that Christianity should be based on humility and reason, rather than dogma and tradition. Significantly, rulers now recognised a duty to use their sovereign power to promote the material welfare of their subjects. This in turn reflected the growing belief that society could be improved by human intervention, and that the well-being and happiness of their subjects could and should be increased. The intellectual pedigree of the Enlightenment can be traced back to the Renaissance and the Reformation, and its immediate causes are to be found in the scientific movements of the 17th century. Beforehand, belief had been based on one authority which could not be challenged, Christianity. The destiny of mankind was assumed to be predetermined by God's providence, which operated in ways inaccessible to human reasoning. The works of Bacon, Galileo, Descartes and Newton offered a cautious challenge to this iron law of providence by defining a part of God's creation, the material world, as open to human investigation, since it was regulated by God-given laws of natural science which human intellect could understand. The scientific revolution, including better understanding of the solar system, was an important influence in the development of the idea of a balance of power on the continent of Europe. In theory, at least, the different states would be able to achieve an equilibrium, which would avoid the necessity of warfare. In practice, however, dynastic rulers were still under the temptation to pursue advancement of their status by the acquisition of additional territory with accompanying subjects and revenues. The Treaty of Utrecht, which ended the War of Spanish Succession, subscribed to the idea of a balance of power. However, such a balance was never stable, instead open to endless readjustment disturbed by dynastic instability. Hence why most wars of the 18th century bear the title of some succession or other. The particular shape of the balance of power emerged through the course of the 17th and 18th centuries, whereby five states dominated, a pattern which persisted until the First World War. Those five states were the already well-established powers of France, England and Habsburg-Austria, but also the newly emerged great power in the east, Russia, and also a new rising power in the north, Prussia. The story of Prussia goes back to that of Brandenburg, one of several medium-sized German states which made up the Holy Roman Empire. Brandenburg originated in the Northern March in the 900s AD, from areas conquered from a Slavic people called the Wends. Over time, the Slavic nature of the population was gradually erased, although there remained until well into the 20th century pockets of Slavic language speakers known as Wends in the villages of Spreewald near Berlin. In the year 1417, Frederick Hohenzollern, owner of the small but wealthy territory of Nuremberg, purchased Brandenburg from its then sovereign emperor Sigismund. As well as lands for Brandenburg, the purchase entitled the ruler of Brandenburg to one of the seven electoral votes of the Holy Roman Empire. The electoral title gave great prestige and also a bargaining chip to use in exchange for political concessions and gifts from the emperor. Through the generations, the Hohenzollerns worked hard to consolidate and to expand their patrimony, making a series of small but significant territorial acquisitions. Importantly, unlike several other German dynasties in the region, they managed to avoid a partition of their lands, passing on the whole territory to the next generation each time. As their capital, they established the city of Berlin, by then the economic centre of Brandenburg. The land of Brandenburg was mostly flat, with few distinctive features, covered in forests of birch and fir, with sluggish rivers and meandering streams. The soil was not very fertile, and the land not well endowed with minerals, although it did have one centre of ironworks in the city of Pates. It was a landlocked territory, without any defensible natural borders of any kind, and no easy access to the Baltic. A key priority therefore in the ambitions of the Hohenzollerns was the acquisition of Prussia on the southern Baltic coast. The acquisition of the Duchy of Prussia, that is the eastern half of the whole of Prussia, was achieved by dynastic means in the year 1618. The Hohenzollerns also gained claims to the duchies of Eulich Cleve, and Berg on the river Rhine. These lay on the outer western edge of the Holy Roman Empire, next to the Spanish Netherlands and the Dutch Republic. The Duchy of Prussia, roughly as large as Brandenburg itself, lay outside the empire and was surrounded by lands of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. It was not uncommon at this time for a single sovereign to possess such geographically scattered territories, but the distances involved between the different parts in the case of the Hohenzollerns was unusual. The territories came under threat during the Thirty Years' War. The then-elector of Brandenburg, George William, tried to keep out of the conflict, but without an army large enough to defend his lands, was compelled to drop his position of neutrality and to side with the Swedish king, Gustavus Adolphus. He later switched to the side of the emperor and spent the last four years of his reign trying to drive the Swedes out of Brandenburg. His attempts to raise an army against Sweden produced only a small, poorly equipped force, and his territories were ravaged by both the Swedish and Imperial armies. George William was forced to flee to Prussia, where he died in the year 1640. The rise of Brandenburg under George William's successor, Frederick William, is remarkable, especially considering the dire situation in 1640. After the devastation of the Thirty Years' War, The Great Elector, as he became known, was determined never again to let his realm become so vulnerable to foreign invasion. By the 1680s, Brandenburg possessed a highly skilled army, between 20,000 to 30,000 strong. It acquired a small Baltic fleet, and a land bridge across eastern Pomerania linked the electorate to the Baltic coast. Brunnenberg was now on a par with its local regional rivals, Bavaria and Saxony. Frederick William was a devout Calvinist and received education at the University of Leiden, where the lessons emphasised the importance of the state as a guarantor of order and the importance of duty to the office of the sovereign. He took his role as sovereign much more seriously than did his predecessors, and involved himself in the day-to-day running of government. To develop wealth, he used the example of the Dutch to reshape his realm, including the promotion of trade and manufacturing. The economy was also helped by the immigration of skilled Protestants, which the elector encouraged, especially the Huguenots who were being persecuted in their French homeland. His neighbours Sweden and Poland both coveted the Duchy of Prussia but with clever diplomacy Frederick William used his electoral vote in 1657 on the death of Emperor Ferdinand III to gain full sovereignty over the region. The fact that the elector had by now assembled a large standing army was a significant factor as it gave him a better hand in the negotiations. However military success brought no guarantee of peace. As demonstrated when Brandenburg occupied Swedish Pomerania in the 1670s, but was forced by France, Sweden's ally, to return the region to Stockholm in the Peace of Nijmegen in 1679. By the time of Frederick William's death in 1688, Brandenburg-Prussia was the largest German principality after Austria. As put by Christopher Clark in his book *Iron Kingdom: The Rise and Fall of Prussia*. Its long scatter of territories stretched like an uneven line of stepping stones from Rhineland to the eastern Baltic. Aware that Sweden and Poland were likely to seize on an opportunity for the Baltic coast, he advised his successors to act with caution. Quote, Be sure at all times that you live as far as possible in mutual trust, friendship and correspondence with all the electors, princes and estates of the empire and that you give them no cause for ill-will, and keep the good peace. And because God has blessed our house with many lands, you should look only to their conservation, and be sure that you do not awaken great envy and enmity through the quest for further lands, or jeopardise thereby what you already possess. End quote. The edginess of Frederick Williams' words highlights one of the abiding themes of Brennenberg Prussia's Foreign Policy, A feeling of vulnerability. The House of Hohenzollern and Brandenburg Prussia continued its rise under the next elector, Frederick III. Once again, Frederick made good use of his electoral vote by using it as a bargaining chip in 1701. At the outbreak of the War of Spanish Succession, Emperor Leopold I was in urgent need of military support to oppose the placing of Louis XIV's grandson on the vacant Spanish throne. In return for help from the Prussian army, Leopold agreed to confer on the elector the title of King Frederick III, who thus also became known as King Frederick I in Prussia. One of the reasons for adopting the unusual title King in rather than of Prussia is that it freed the new crown from any Polish claims pertaining to royal Prussia, that is, the western half of Prussia, which was still within the Polish Commonwealth. This demonstrates again the Hohenzollerns' typical sense of caution and concern for the ambitions of their neighbours. Frederick, however, didn't hold back with the celebrations of the coronation. According to one report, 30,000 horses were required to relay his family, the retainers and their luggage packed into 1,800 carriages on the route from Berlin to the Palace of Coronation in the city of Königsberg. Frederick successfully steered his state safely through the turbulent times of the Nine Years' War, of 1688-97, to 97, and the Great Northern War, 1700-1721, to 1721, and also the War of Spanish Succession, 1701-1714. On occasions, his army intervened effectively for example at the Battle of Blenheim in 1704, where it played an important role in helping the Duke of Marlborough and Prince Eugene of Savoy win a victory over the French. By 1709, Frederick had increased his army to 44,000, the largest in the Holy Roman Empire after Austria's. His son and successor, Frederick William I of Prussia, came to the throne in 1713. The new king cut right back on court expenditure, considering the grand palaces being built that time around Germany to be unnecessary. The court painter was put on half pay, the orchestra disbanded and the pleasure gardens levelled and turned into parade grounds. Huge amounts of silverware were gathered from palaces and hunting lodges, melted down and stored away in barrels in the cellars of Potsdam Palace. Frederick Williams' obsession was the strengthening of Prussia's military. Up until then the army relied on what began to resemble press-gangs. A man would be detained, claimed to have enlisted, and be released only on payment of a bribe. Prussian recruiters also operated in neighbouring states, much to the annoyance of the rulers of the affected territories, especially the electorate of Hanover. Frederick William abolished this notoriously ineffective recruitment system and set about a mixture of impressment at home and voluntary enlistment from abroad. Henceforth, all male children in Brandenburg, Prussia, were inscribed on the regimental rolls at the age of ten. There were numerous exceptions such as peasant farmers and their eldest sons, merchants and craftsmen, but still a good quarter of the population were included. The peacetime strength of the military therefore expanded rapidly to about 80,000 by 1740. Above all the Prussian army excelled in matters of logistics. It was throughout better fed, better clothed and more reliably paid than that of its rivals, as well as possessing decisive leadership. Frederick William's key territorial ambition was the port of Stettin, principal city of western Pomerania and key to control of the River Oder. This he acquired at the Treaty of Neustadt of 1721, together with nearly all of western Pomerania, taking advantage of Sweden's weakness after her defeat to Russia at the Battle of Portava. The Austrian Habsburgs, were becoming increasingly wary of any further Prussian aggrandizement. But Frederick William acted cautiously and did not risk destabilising relations with Vienna by pushing too hard on his ambitions. So when Frederick II, later to be known as The Great, ascended to the Prussian throne in 1740 at the age of 28, his inheritance was impressive. A large well equipped army... A low nobility accustomed to serve, an efficient administration, and a substantial war chest. It didn't take him long to make use of it. Thank you for listening to a history of Europe, Key Battles podcast. Today's music was composed by the German Baroque composer George Philip Telemann, who lived from 1681. To seventeen sixty-seven, he worked in several cities, including Leipzig, Frankfurt, and Hamburg, where there is now a museum dedicated to him. I played his Trio Number Three in G Major for flute, violin, cello, and harpsichord, then an Oboe Concerto in F Minor, and will play out today with a Partita in B Flat Major. I hope you enjoy, and can join me again next time for the next part on the war of Austrian succession. Until then, all the best, and goodbye.